Well, welcome to Southwinds Online. Before we get started today, maybe you've heard that the Supreme Court has just made a ruling that will bring some changes to how and when we can meet. We've just gotten the news, and I can't tell you exactly what comes next for us, but I can ask you to be praying. As soon as we know, we will get the word out via social media and email or text messages. Whatever we decide, we will continue to provide online services. But I am so excited to have more opportunities to meet with you in person. Thanks for your prayers. Now, I hope you have your Bible out, and if it serves you, you can download message notes from our app. Today's our third week exploring Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we are learning how we can live joy-filled lives. We're learning how we can live beyond our circumstances because we all have circumstances that feel like they're holding us back sometimes. And yet, the Apostle Paul said that he had learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In other words, our circumstances actually aren't the limiting factor we think they are. And Paul knew what he was talking about. As I've mentioned the last two weeks, Paul faced incredibly painful circumstances throughout his life. We know Paul had this dream of making it to Rome so Rome could become the launching point for preaching the gospel to the rest of the world. And Paul was so excited to come to Rome as a preacher and he prayed about going to Rome and he he worked hard at getting to Rome, but he wasn't getting to Rome. It was obstacle after obstacle closed door after closed door, and it seemed like it wouldn't happen. And then all of a sudden, he's in Rome, but not the way he wanted to be. He was in Rome, not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. He didn't go to Rome. He was taken to Rome, and he's under 24-7 house arrest in a Roman prison. And so when he said that he'd learned the secret of being content in every situation, he was in a difficult situation. So how do we respond when the assignment we get isn't the assignment we wanted? Often when that happens, it means we're suffering. It means there's pain. Now, this passage that we're looking at today shows us how we should think about our suffering. And if you had asked Paul what you should think, he would have told you that you should see suffering as a gift. You see, Paul was suffering. I mentioned last week that Roman prisons made American prisons look like Club Med. Paul was in a painful place and his future was uncertain. He didn't know if he would live or die. He felt like his dream was being derailed. Maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you're in a place of pain in your life. Maybe it's physical or it's emotional or relational. Maybe it's spiritual, but you're hurting. Here's what you need to understand How we think about suffering determines what it accomplishes in our lives. I want to give you two realities we all need to hear. And you've heard this first one before, but we all usually need to be reminded. And it's this, suffering is inevitable. We don't like it, but it's reality. Jesus himself told us in John 16, 33. And if you read that verse, Jesus didn't say in this world, you might have some trouble. Jesus didn't say in this world, it's possible that there's an outside chance that on occasion, a few of you might experience a little bit of mild suffering. No, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble because suffering is inevitable. It's not the world we were meant for. It's the world we made with our sin. And in a world that's broken by our sin, suffering is inevitable. 
Here's the second reality. Suffering changes us. It does something in us. It impacts us. And it can go in two different directions. Suffering can build us up, but it can also break us down. And whether suffering builds us up or breaks us down, it depends on how we think about it. How we think about our suffering determines what it will accomplish in our lives. Now, what we're going to see today is what Paul thought about suffering. And we're going to see that he thought about suffering in very counterintuitive ways. And what he's going to tell us will seem so strange, and you may actually really struggle to grasp it. And yet, how he thought is what enabled him to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And thinking what Paul thought about suffering raises a question. It's a question I want you to ask yourself as we begin today. Here's that question. What would happen if I began to see suffering as a gift? What would happen if I began to see pain as a blessing, as something that I get to experience rather than something that I have to? How would that change my suffering and how would that change what God accomplishes in me through my life's inevitable suffering? Now, you need to know that Paul is is beginning the main body of this letter at this point. And he is now moving into the heart of what he wants to tell the Philippians about how they should live. And here's what he says first. This is Philippians 1.27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul begins like this. He says, whatever happens. And in part, he's talking about himself. He, He doesn't know if he will live or die if he'll be released from prison or not. But he's also talking about them. He says, it's not just about me. Now it's about you. Whatever happens in your lives, whatever happens in your city of Philippi, this is what I want. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This Greek word translated conduct is is not the word Paul usually uses to tell believers how to live. This word is the word we get our word politics from. Our word politics has roots in this Greek word. And this word means something like to live or act like a citizen. It's a very specific technical word. And it was a word the Philippians were very familiar with because they were very proud of their Roman citizenship. They had something most people in the Roman Empire didn't have because in most cities, the people were Roman property, not Roman citizens little bit of history. In 42 BC, about 100 years earlier, a Roman general named Octavius fought an important battle against two rivals on the plains outside Philippi. And the city of Philippi helped Octavius. Because of that, he won his battle. He eventually became the emperor. And when he did, he rewarded the Philippians by making them all citizens of Rome. So they had this elite status and they were extremely proud of it. They, they talked about living as Roman citizens all the time. So Paul uses that word, but he uses it with a twist. He says, no matter what happens, I want you to live like citizens. But he's not saying live like citizens of Rome. He's saying live like citizens of heaven because that's what the gospel does. The gospel makes us citizens of heaven. The gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins, that he rose from the dead and that by faith in him, we're forgiven of our sins and we are brought into God's family. That gospel also means that we become citizens of heaven. 
We are aliens. We are strangers in a strange land. We are exiles, elect exiles, like we learned when we studied 1 Peter. We're this outpost of heaven in the rest of the world, just like Philippi was an outpost of Rome surrounded by all the other territories. See, Paul is saying to them, above everything else, we are to act like citizens of heaven. And he's telling the Philippians, make your citizenship in heaven matter more than your citizenship in Rome. And it is here where we begin to see part of the gift of suffering, one of the positive things that comes from suffering. And it's this, you might write this down, suffering forces us to make choices. It's just reality. Difficult circumstances allow us to to make choices, to cast a vote for who we want to be. And as followers of Jesus, we would all love to think that our citizenship in heaven matters more than our citizenship in any other earthly thing, right? We would love to say that being a citizen of heaven matters more than, than being an American citizen. We'd love to say that being a citizen in heaven matters more than a career or a corporation or a family or a reputation. You know, a lot of us, we're, we're very proud of being Californians, Right? I mean, some of you, when you travel to other parts of the country, you feel sorry for the people who have to live in those other places. Places, you know, where it's not 65 degrees in February, right? You know, for those of you watching online in other states that actually have something called winter, we're sorry for you. I'd say we pray for you, but truth is, most of us really aren't that spiritual. But we all have these earthly kingdoms we're citizens of, and we can take a lot of pride in them. And Paul's not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. We just need to make sure our highest priority and our greatest pride is that we are citizens of heaven. But that only happens, it only happens when we choose, when we choose to live and act like that. And here's what Paul is saying. It's often in the midst of difficult circumstances that we're given the choice. And so, when we're making that choice, we're casting votes for the kind of person we really want to be. In fact, you could write this down. Our choices cast a vote for the kind of person we want to be. Last year at Southwinds, just before lockdowns started, we, we did a series called The Power of Habits. And, and I told you in that series about an interesting book, bestseller, called Atomic Habits. It's a, it's a helpful book, and it's about how to build good habits and how to break bad ones. And one striking thing the author said was, every time we make a choice, we cast a vote for the kind of person we're going to be. So late at night, I opened the refrigerator door, I'm about to make a vote, right? Depending on what I choose to eat, say if I eat a carrot, which never happens, let's just be honest. But if I choose to eat a carrot, I'm casting a vote for being a healthy person. On the other hand, when I choose to eat fried chicken and cold fried chicken at 9 p.m., is, it's just magic, all right? What am I choosing? Well, I'm, I'm choosing joy, obviously, but I'm also casting a vote for not being that healthy. When I decide to to work out, to go to the gym, or I decide, no, I'm just going to watch some TV, I'm casting a vote for being in shape or out of shape. When someone wounds me, I have a choice. I'm casting a vote either for peace and freedom or for bitterness and resentment. 
When a door opens to tell someone about Jesus, I have a choice. I'm I'm casting a vote either for the advancement of the gospel, the, the sharing of God's goodness and mercy and grace in a world that so desperately needs it, or Or maybe I I stay silent because I'm afraid and I cast a vote for death, not life. See, we all have to make choices. And when I'm in a difficult situation, that's when I cast a vote for who I am really becoming. And so so what Paul says to the church in Philippi is this. He says, I know things are getting hard. It's hard living for Jesus in a culture that demands you live for other things. See, the Philippians lived in a city where they were called repeatedly to say, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't say that, people noticed and people would have seen you as a problem, maybe even as a danger to society and a danger to other people. And so these Philippian believers faced some hard choices and as a result, they sometimes suffered. But every time, suffering gave them opportunities to cast votes for who they would be. And so today... Will we be people who who live lives worthy of the gospel? Will we live for Jesus, our Savior, above all else? You see, that's the the gift, the privilege that comes in this difficult circumstance. Paul Paul says, I know what I want you to be. And then he says something more. He says, let me tell you how you cast the votes for that person I know that you want to be. And this is verses 27 and 28. Verses 27 and 28. He writes, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, Paul shows them three ways they can cast votes. He's showing us three ways that we can choose to be people whose citizenship in heaven matters more than anything else. Here's the first way. First, we stand firm in the one spirit. He says, first, you cast votes by standing firm in the one spirit. And the one spirit here would be the Holy Spirit. You see, whenever we say yes to Jesus... Not only are we forgiven of our sins and we are adopted into the family of God, but the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in us and he begins to transform us from the inside out. And all followers of Jesus have that same spirit, no matter how many other differences they might have between them. This is about diversity in the church and we see it in our own church and there are all kinds of differences in the church. There are black Christians and Asian Christians and Hispanic Christians and and white Christians. There are Republican Christians and Democrat Christians. There are Calvinist Christians and Arminian Christians. And a lot of people have no idea what that means, and that's okay. We've got charismatic and we've got non-charismatic Christians. There's all kinds of Christians, but all kinds of Christians have one kind of spirit. In fact, only one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. And we have a choice. We have a choice as a church, and and that choice is that we can pay a lot of attention to all those differences, like you are over there because you're that kind, and, and I'm over here because I'm this kind. But that leads only to division and a lack of unity. Or we can choose to say, no, no, we will stand firm in the one spirit that's common to all of us. So how do we do this? How do we cast votes for being the kind of person whose citizenship in heaven matters most? Well, I think we do that when we choose to pay more attention to what we have in common with each other than what we don't. 
And we can talk about those other things, those differences. And, and sometimes it's fine to debate some of them. We're not saying that they don't matter at all, but we are saying they don't matter as much as the fact that we all share in the same spirit. And so we will stand firm in that. We will cast the vote by paying more attention to what we have in common than what we don't. Second, we strive together for the gospel. He says, you cast votes by striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. In other words, he says, you cast a vote for a person whose citizenship in heaven matters most by choosing to live on mission. How do we live on mission? Well, that means we are advancing the gospel. That's what Paul talked about earlier. It was what we saw last week. We, we, we work to extend God's influence in the world. And this happens every time that we bring light into a dark place in Jesus' name. We're, we're extending God's influence in the world. We're, we're living on mission. Every time we, we bring hope where there is despair, we're extending God's influence in the world. Every time we bring healing where there's hurt, and we do that in the name of Jesus, we're extending God's influence. Every time we bring righteousness to a place where sin is running rampant, we're extending God's influence in the world. And every time we take the opportunity to speak of the hope we have in Jesus, who's crucified and risen for us, every time we share the hope, that gospel, that good news, we are extending God's influence. We are living on mission. And even every time we do simple things, it could be as, as simple as inviting someone to in, uh, watch our online service or, or maybe to join you at an outdoor service or may to, maybe to come with you to an indoor service that may be happening soon. And maybe you would say to that person, hey, you know, we're going through a series I think you might find helpful. Would you like to come with me? You see, whatever we do, whenever we choose to live on mission, we're casting a vote to be the kind of person who's citizenship in heaven matters most. Here's the third way. Third, we stop fearing opposition. Look again at verse 28. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So that's the third way we cast our votes. And the word he uses for frightened is, is interesting. It's, it's a Greek word that's often used to describe a horse getting spooked. Now, I don't know a lot about horses, but I've had some friends who, who tell me what they know about horses. And they, they've told me that these, these massive creatures, horses, they, they can get spooked by, by really small things. Maybe you know this, but horses are, are, are terrified of plastic bags. Horses are, are scared to death by plastic bags that fly through the air. They're also terrified of Butterflies. They're also terrified of chickens. I mean, think about that. A chicken weighs about five pounds. A horse is around a thousand pounds. And you'd think the chicken would be terrified of the horse, but that's not how it works. And you know, all of this might not be that big a deal unless you're riding on a horse that gets spooked because a terrified horse might throw you off. A terrified horse might injure you, maybe even kill you. And here's the interesting thing to contemplate. All of that would be for no real reason. Paul is saying to these people, don't be frightened. He's telling them, don't be anxious about people who might oppose you. Don't be spooked. And what he's really saying is this. I know the people around you bringing pressure on you seem like a big deal, but they are not a big deal to your God. 
I know that these people, they are pointing to the power of Rome and Rome seems like a really big deal, but I want you to understand Rome is not big at all compared to your God. He's telling us this. Here's how you cast the vote to be someone more invested in their citizenship in heaven than anything else. You choose not to live in fear of things that are smaller than our God. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how many things are smaller than our God? Answer's real easy, right? All of them. All of them. No matter how big that thing might seem in your life, compared to God, it is infinitesimally small. So don't be frightened. Don't be spooked by it. And then Paul says, if you do these three things, and we're still in verse 28, he says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Here's something interesting. When you're casting votes for becoming the person you want to be, you don't have to win by a landslide. To become the kind of person you want to be, you only have to win by a simple majority. You only have to cast more votes for the kind of person you want to be than the kind of person you don't. And and what that means is you can mess up. You can make some mistakes along the way because there's grace. And and you may cast the wrong vote sometimes, but that's okay. God forgives. He will give you the strength and power to get it right the next time. All you have to do, all you have to do is cast more votes for who you want to be, for the person whose citizenship is in heaven. And he says, when you do that, when you're casting more votes in that direction, he says, well, it will be a sign to everyone around you that they're being destroyed. Now, though it may sound like it, it's not intended as a threat. What Paul is saying is that when you live as citizens of heaven first, the people around you will begin to recognize that you have something they don't. And they'll begin to think, you know what, I'm putting my hope and my faith in what is earthly and temporary in an earthly temporary kingdom. I'm putting my hope and my, my faith in my citizenship in this career or maybe in the kingdom of pleasure But honestly, I'm recognizing I don't have the stability or the confidence or the peace that I see in you with your citizenship in heaven. See, our our trust in Christ will reveal the inadequacies of their citizenship in earthly things. And they'll begin to recognize these things are falling apart and I'm gonna be destroyed with them. And that in turn will draw their attention to God and to Jesus. And then he says, "What what is probably what is probably the most difficult part of this passage and maybe of the entire book of Philippians in verses 29 and 30, he says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. If you're marking in your Bible, you might wanna underline that word granted. See, granting, this is something God does. And so Paul is saying, God in his sovereignty has not only granted you belief in Christ, but he's also granted you suffering in Jesus. He's saying, good news, church. We're all in this together. You've seen that I've been suffering and I've been in pain for the gospel. Now you're in pain and now you're suffering. Good news, we're in this together. This word translated granted, means really a gift. It has the idea of something being gifted to you. And in fact, the the Greek word translated granted is actually rooted in the Greek word for grace. 
Do you know what grace is? Grace is an undeserved gift. Now, mercy is when God doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve for our sins. You know, when we don't get something bad we deserve, that's mercy. But, but grace is like mercy on steroids because grace is when we get something good that we don't deserve. So I want you to hear this. The word granted is a grace word. And let's be very clear about what's going on here. Paul is saying that suffering is an undeserved gift from God. Let me say it again. Paul is saying that suffering is an undeserved gift from God. Not a lot of amens on that one, I imagine. Probably not a lot of you out there getting excited about that one. But that is what Paul says. Paul says, you've been given an undeserved gift of not only believing in Jesus, but also of suffering for Jesus. So suffering is an undeserved gift. I mean, how on earth, think about it. I mean, how on earth can you say that? I want to explain to you why I believe Paul says that. And I want to talk about some of the gifts that suffering brings, if only we can see them. And you may need to understand as we begin that the suffering Paul's talking about is primarily suffering because we follow Jesus, suffering for the name of Jesus. But at the same time, on the other hand, the Bible also teaches that for those who are in Christ, suffering of any kind can be a gift, if only we can see it. Remember, it was Paul who wrote those familiar words in Romans 8, 28, where he says, and we know, not we guess, not we hope, not we think maybe, but we know that in all things, not in some things, but in all things, whether it's suffering for your faith or suffering just because the world is broken, but in all things, God works for the, what's that word? The good. God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Paul says, in all things, God works for our good. So not just suffering for our faith, but all kinds of suffering, in all suffering, God works for our good. So with that in mind, how is it that suffering can be an undeserved gift? I want to show you some verses as we we conclude this time together. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So God blesses us in our suffering, but how? Very briefly, let me mention just a few of the ways that that God's word tells us that suffering can be a gift. And you're going to notice we saw many of these last fall in our study through 1 Peter. Here's the first one. First of all, suffering helps us turn from sin. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Psalm 119.71 says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I mean, how many of us, because of our suffering, we've been saved from so much pain that we would have known if we continued in our sin. Here's the second thing. Suffering helps us grow. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's going to strengthen us. 
James 1, verses 2 through 4, such familiar words say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So suffering matures us. Suffering makes us complete. And then third, suffering draws us closer to Jesus. You see, when we suffer, we are humbled and we read his word for wisdom and we call out to him in prayer. So many verses about that. And then fourth, suffering brings us God's comfort, which then gives us compassion for others who are suffering. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You know, I could give you so many ways that suffering can be a gift. But let's just end with this. Suffering, suffering makes us more like Jesus. Now, we're going to see later in our exploration of Philippians this next couple of verses. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I'll just say this. When we suffer, we experience what Jesus experienced we share in his death and in his life. And in so doing, we are becoming more like him. And friends, don't you understand that is God's life goal for us, to make us like Jesus. That's the ultimate reason why he gives us the gift of suffering. Well, let's wrap this up. Before we go, I want to give you two things to do this week, and they involve kind of filling in the blank. Here's the first fill in this blank. You'll see this on your screen, and you can write this down and fill it out for yourself. First, I am most in danger of allowing my citizenship in blank to be more important than my citizenship in heaven. So think about it. What's the place you most struggle with that? Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it your comfort, your wealth, your health, your pleasure? Is it the approval of others? See, we all have something we belong to or something we look to or something we depend upon, something that we are tempted to make more important than our citizenship in heaven. And we need to be aware of it because it's only when we see it that we can recognize the opportunities we will have each day to cast a vote for the person we want to be. So take some time and fill that blank in. And then here uh, is the second thing. In my current suffering, I see this gift. And then you fill in that blank. Now, I just gave you five gifts that God can give you from your suffering. I want you to think about what is causing pain in your life right now. And I want you to ask, what gift is God wanting to give me in my pain? So you think of your suffering and out of that, you identify the gift. Here's the truth, friends. Suffering is a grace, an undeserved gift from our good God. And this is the word of the Lord for us today.
Will you receive it? I want to invite you now to bow your heads as we pray together. Let's go before our Father. Father God, the the truths that we have explored in your word today are difficult. And they're hard for us to wrap our minds around. We need to learn new ways of thinking, ways that line up, Father, with the truth of your word. And Lord, we confess we're not capable of that on our own. We need your grace to change our minds. We, we need, Father, your power to reshape our thoughts. And so we ask you, will you give us your grace and your power to receive suffering as a gift from you? Lord, we know in our hearts that you are good and that as our good Father, you only give us good gifts. And we know that, that you know better than we do what's best for us. So Lord, help us to receive this reality We thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christ followers. And right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do the transforming work that we need to think differently. Father, we pray. We pray also for those who do not know you yet. May they even today, Father, see your goodness and grace to them in your son, Jesus, who who died on the cross for their sins. And may they give you their lives as they turn from their sins. Father, we pray all of these things now in the good and strong name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. We ask all these things in his name. And all God's people together said, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to encourage you again to stay tuned for updates on our worship gatherings. I pray that you will have a blessed week. And so I want to give you a blessing to take with you. It's from Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.